Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. When disaster strikes, establishing a reliable communication network is critical. Someone who knows all too well about that is Steve Popus, director of AT&T's Emergency Management Preparedness and Response. This emergency response team has been aiding disaster communications for nearly 30 years. And that kind of effort certainly requires an experienced team of meteorologists, technicians, and first responders. We'll learn more about the inner workings of the recovery teams and how they're able to spring into action at a moment's notice. And as many of you may be wondering, we'll discuss how they're planning to adapt their team's response during a global pandemic as we gear up for a potentially busy hurricane season. Steve, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. A pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's really fascinating. Even as we sit here taping uh, in early June, we just had a record-breaking tropical storm and that we have the earliest occurrence of the third named storm in the Atlantic Basin, and we're in the midst of a pandemic, coronavirus. So I am, I am sure that you have your work cut out for you. Uh, before we get into really fascinating conversations, I always like to start by asking my guests what their background is. How did, how did you end up doing what you're doing? What's your academic background? Did you have a passion for this early on? <clears throat> Uh, I, I would say my interest in, in, in uh, meteorology and, and the whole weather environment started when I was a kid. <clears throat> um, it was, uh, you know, uh, a simple situation where I had to go visit my grandmother and relatives when I was pretty young, and uh, it was late April, and, uh, and we had not, you know, the, the meteorology tools had not advanced well at that point in time. So we wind up driving in, into 15 inches of snow. It took, a, you know, a one hour drive wind up taking us maybe like four or five hours to get there, right? So that piqued my interest in terms of understanding weather, understanding how it has an implication on us from, from a consumer perspective, and then it transitioned into my life as a professional and, and the work that I do. And so <clears throat> um, dur during my early career, I had transitioned through a number of different type of job functions, predominantly in the customer care, uh, care environment, where I supported many, many large multinational customers. And having you know, weather events globally impacted their business operations. And I had the responsibility of making sure that we had the ability to either mitigate the risk or or, re, or re have a response and recovery operation to get their services back online. And that just transitioned into the work I do today in our business continuity and disaster recovery realm, which is all about risk identification, understanding the threats, and then, you know, building the appropriate response or, or you know, or recovery, if it's that case. What, what, what is your educational background? I mean, um, I have a technical background. Um, I have a mix of both technical aspects and IT background. 
uh, and then transitioning into uh, into a management career. So I've I've had, you know, George Washington University Wharton University of Pennsylvania uh, from a, a management perspective. My undergraduate was the University of Phoenix, and I've had some technical careers and. Way back when, when it used to be called technical career institutes, things of that nature. So, it, so it's transitioned from a technical to a management skill now to a true business operations type of environment. And let me just give you a little bit of background on Steve Popus. He is the director of the Emergency Management Preparedness and Response uh, with AT&T. Uh, he's got 30 plus years in the telecommunications industry. He currently supports the New Jersey communications critical infrastructure sector and the NYC climate adaption adaptation task force. He also serves as AT&T's alternate industry representative with the Department of Homeland Security, National Coordination Center for Communications, and the Office of Cybersecurity and Communications. He is also the National Institute of Science and Technology Communications Fellow focused on community resilience and is also a member of the Fleet Response Working Group Steering Committee. So very much someone clearly that knows what they're doing and knows this realm very well. So I just want to dive right in. So first of all, many people listening to Weather Geeks were like, wait a minute, why don't we have someone from AT&T on? But let me give you a reason why. AT&T has a multifaceted disaster team prepared to respond during disasters. Uh, this discuss, let's discuss this team, uh, the National Dis no, sorry, the National Disaster Recovery or NDR team. Tell us a little bit about the team and the history of it and why 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 what's why that's important AT&T. <clears throat> Uh, it has its uh, it has its legs from there was a fire in the, in the Chicago environment many years ago and it destroyed a switching location which was a hub for telephone calls things of that nature and and we had to make sure that we had the ability to recover that location so back in those days we had to rebuild the infrastructure. So we, we started to transition to a mobile infrastructure where we built switching locations on 53-foot tractor trailers, and then we had the ability to send those mobile assets into those impacted areas at any time to help recover what was existing previously. As a classic example, uh, this capability was used in 9-11. <clears throat> we had a uh, switching location in the, in the Wall Street area, obviously in within the World Trade Center itself. And when the trade centers fell, our switching capabilities ceased to exist at that point in time. So what we did is we rolled these trailers out to Jersey City in New Jersey. We ran fiber optics through the Holland Tunnel down into the Wall Street area. And we, will help, and we helped recover the, some of the communication down in the Wall Street area after 9-11. So that's a, that's a basis of why the team existed and then obviously there's many many natural disasters that we re, you know responded to hurricane katrina on down through all our major hurricanes tornadoes wildfires all of those type of things ever since and yeah one of the things that was immediately coming to mind for example i wondered if you were involved was recently relatively recently hurricane maria in puerto rico and whether at&t had any response there that has that one was probably the most challenging out of all of them, uh, only because of the logistical aspects, right? So we had significant 
damage in Puerto Rico. The infrastructure was clearly damaged from a power infrastructure perspective, from a telecommunication point of view. And obviously it's, it's an island. So the logistical challenges were, how do we get all of these recovery assets that I talked about to Puerto Rico? And so uh, we looked at, we contracted um, our private, uh, private aircraft to get assets there. We went through FEMA barges. We actually uh, deployed assets on a C-5 and C-130 military assets. Uh, it, was, it was a pretty, pretty uh, um, interesting type of a response. And, and, and once we got there, the challenges existed as well. So there was logistical challenges around food and water. We had our responders there. We typically go to our response and we carry what we call go bags. And those go bags typically have food and water and all the things you need to bring for three, four, five days. Now we're on the island weeks and, and the food supply and the water supply and everything else was a significant challenge. So Port, Hurricane Maria, I would label it at the top of the list in terms of challenges that we face. And I think with given the severity of that storm, I think across many different spaces, people would probably agree with you given the challenge. When I think about weather, I'm, I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. I'm talking with Steve Popus from AT&T's National Dis uh, Disaster Recovery Team. When I think about all of the things that you'd likely respond to from a natural disaster standpoint, is there sort of one sort of type of national disaster that creates the most havoc for you, a snowstorm, hurricane, tornadoes, fires, or are they all uniquely different? Each are unique. Uh, I think hurricanes obviously are a significant challenge. Uh, we have the ability to, to prepare for those because it's, uh, you know, we have time to potentially stage assets and people and things of that nature. But, but the damage itself is pretty, pretty significant. I mean, you know, Hurricane Michael, as an example, Hurricane Irma recently, where the Gulf Coast was completely demolished. Uh, and so <clears throat> we, we now rely on our own weather uh, capabilities. So we created what we call the AT&T Weather Operations Center. <clears throat> and that was established to uh, turn the intelligence of weather into what does it mean for AT&T? Uh, well, I, you can tell me that the hurricane's coming, or you can tell me that there's going to be flooding impacts, but what does that mean to me? Do I have people? Do I have uh, physical buildings? Do I have assets that are potentially at risk? So our AT&T Weather Operations team looks at a couple of different dimensions. It looks at the, the potential wind impacts. Are, are there aerial fiber uh, infrastructure that could be blown down? What's the implication of, of a storm surge and or rain? Um, you know, will there be flooding? Um, will, there be, will we have the ability to get into areas to actually recover and support public safety and or the consumer environments? So our AT&T weather operations team is very, very engaged on a, on a preparedness perspective. And then on response, because we don't want to go into an area as an example and then have a secondary tornado that may be targeted for the locations that we've already chosen. Or, or there may be storms of uh, flooding from an uh, overflown river that may impact the locations that we've chosen. So we've integrated weather very deeply into the work that we do. 
and to make sure that we have the capabilities to really provide the intelligence. And, and we're moving into really a data-driven environment where we're taking all the data feeds and making sure we internalize it and making sure that, that we can start to assess you know, the risks of the infrastructure and, and what the things we need to do to mitigate. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard, and I'm speaking with Steve Popus about a really interesting topic that may catch some Weather Geeks listeners off guard because we're talking about AT&T and their weather and disaster response. And you just heard Steve talk about his weather uh, response team and preparedness team. Steve, as a, I'm the director of the University of Georgia's Atmospheric Sciences Program, so I, I actually am teaching and training future meteorologists and people working in weather and climate. So are you telling me that someone theoretically with a meteorology background could work for AT&T? Oh, absolutely. We have we have uh, three meteorologists permanently on our team. Wow. Each one of them is focused specifically at their own skill set, whether it's hydrology, whether it's wind-related implications. And absolutely, well, you know, as as the uh, the function continues to grow and the value um, continues to grow, as an example, we're using weather-related um, predictive analysis for our DirecTV customers to let them know that a potential outage may be coming. If your TV goes offline because the satellite link is down, it's because of weather. You know, please know that and, you know, within 10 minutes or 15 minutes. Uh, and so we can cut down the, the number of calls we get in our customer call, call centers, and we could start to drive some of that improvement around cost and around our responsiveness as well. Well, I'm a longtime DirecTV uh, customer and certainly understand the rain attenuation, just for the weather, because we like to kind of break stuff down here. So those of you that do have satellite television, you know, from time to time, there's something called attenuation. If it's raining within the direct line, in my case, it's to the southwest, um, you will get attenuation in the signal as the rain. Um, actually, there are some uses of that, even that meteorologically as well. I know some companies are exploring exploring those things, too. But it's really fascinating. I know that you've invested more than $650 million in your national network disaster recovery program since it was launched. So we're not talking about a small operation here. There are components or entities that I'd like you to kind of walk us through here. The NDR Equipment Warehouse, the AT&T Weather Operations Center, which you really just already did, um, and the Disaster First Strike Team. So Maybe tell us about the disaster first strike team and the NDR equipment warehouse since you've already introduced the weather ops center. The disaster first strike team. So we, we use labels as, as uh, first in assessment teams, strike teams. Uh, it's, it's pretty consistent the way FEMA uses the terms, but we have individuals who will go into a, a major, major impacted area and, and do the damage assessment. I need this type of fiber optic cable. I need these, this type of power lines. I need this type of XXX. And so 
Once we've established what the assessment has been and what the damage is, we then bring in what we call strike teams. Each one of those strike teams has a different focus and what their expertise is. So in disaster first strike team, their specific focus is around generation, power generation, so portable generators. Can I get that new that cell tower back up with a portable generator? Maybe the local commercial power infrastructure has been damaged. Uh, things of that nature. So each strike team has a different focus. It could be around laying fiber optics. It could be bringing in power generators. It could be bring, uh, recovering a central office. Or what we do very frequently is we have mobile uh, portable cell towers. So when cell towers go out of service for whatever reason, if there's a hurricane, Hurricane Katrina, you know, I, I forget the exact a distance, but I think it was 600 square miles of majorly impacted cell coverage. We had to bring in temporary assets to reestablish communication for the consumers as well as public safety. From a consumer perspective, it's all about let me call my relatives and family and let them know I'm, I'm okay. From a, from a first responder perspective, it's I need to get in there and I need to do search and rescue or I need to do some recovery operations and making sure they can communicate as well. So, Yeah, and you just, something just, you just sparked a question because oftentimes after these major hurricanes or tornadic disasters and so forth, from time to time I hear people like, we'll see people posting on social media, things like stay off your cell phones, text instead, it's uh, better on the system. So, blah, blah, blah. Uh, can you kind of clear up all, because I, that gets around from time to time. So is it better to not be talking vocally on the cell phones? Is the texting use less bandwidth or is that all myth? No, that's actually true. Um, so when we're talking about the commercial network, um, you know, if there's, it's all based on capacity, right? So if, if you have a number of capacity and then you're overutilized on the capacity because maybe you had 10 cell towers that typically in an environment and now you're down to one as an example and everyone is trying to access that one cell tower as an example. Uh, texting uses less bandwidth. And it's a quick and dirty way of communicating out to the world, I'm okay, or, or, or at least communicate, I need help, or things of that nature. So that's actually true from that perspective. Um, we, we can obviously support voice. Now we've transitioned to, uh, I'm not sure if you heard about FirstNet. And so we've built a network specifically for first responders. So we've basically segregated the first response, the first responder community from the commercial community. And so this network is solely focused on public safety and gives them the priority and preemption, the ability to communicate in any type of an event. Yeah, I, I am. I, I had heard of that. I've got some emergency management friends. And so I, I was aware of that, although many of the people from the Weather Geeks listener side, that may be news to them. So I think you just broke a little news for some folks here. Now, you, this NDR equipment warehouse maintained, I guess there are a series of them around the country that's where you keep all of your equipment in preparation for these responses. Yeah, we, we have local teams, what we call market-based teams that have assets locally in the in the cities and the states, uh, in, in the geographies. But we also have a national environment, which I lead, which is, okay, I, I have national responsibilities. And I, so I have four warehouses 
across the United States that can reach any part of the contiguous United States within a pretty quick time frame. So these are assets in addition to our local market assets that we deploy for specialty assets, thing, things like aerostats, things like drones, things like amphibious vehicles, things like satellite-based cell towers, uh, things like uh, central office recovery assets, which I referenced earlier today, uh, things of that. So it's the stuff that you're not going to normally use on a day-to-day -day basis, but you may need them in a critical situation. And so we've distributed those across the country and we can react to wildfires or hurricanes or tornadoes or whatever the situation is. And we are talking with Steve Popus, who is the Director of Emergency Management and Preparedness and Response with AT&T's National Discovery Re Disaster Recovery. I keep wanting to kind of combine those words together. That's a big a bit of a tongue twister for me today. Um, so we are, as I mentioned earlier, as, as we're taping this, we actually are watching a tropical storm that's essentially sitting over Mexico right now and probably will for the next couple of days before it decides to move out into the Gulf. And likely, based on what I'm seeing in the models right now, impacts somewhere between Houston and North Florida, looking like uh, Louisiana. What are you doing? What is your team doing at this phase of a storm like this? Is there any mobilization, or do you sort of have to wait a bit until you really have a better feel for where it's going? Just tell us a little bit about it. Let's give us an ear of what you're up to right now for preparing for this type of storm. So, so it gets back to the AWOC, the AT&T Weather Operations Center. So they're, they're monitoring the weather patterns and, and what they think the risk is going to be to the AT&T network. And so they're looking at pre-storm guidance and risk assessments. Um, they're, they're starting to pull that together in the intelligence around what they think the implications are going to be to AT&T. Uh, and then we're starting to pull data around what we think the pre-flooding implications may be uh, and things of that nature. So we're keying off the AWOC, the ATT Weather Operations Center. Based on that guidance, the, my team behind the scenes is now looking at, do I need to, what type of assets do I think uh, are going to be leveraged? You know, what type of switching locations are in the potential path of that hurricane, as an example? What type of assets do I need to bring to bear? Um, where would be uh, good locations for staging locations that I make sure I don't put my people and assets in the direct path of a hurricane, but close enough where I can react quickly to, uh, to that hurricane if it actually hits landfall and, and does damage. So we're assessing all of that. We're looking at skill sets that were needed. We have, a, we have a team across the United States and we'll be bringing in people depending on the non-impact areas and bringing those uh, folks into our staging locations to prepare and, and respond pretty quickly. And obviously weather is not just sort of an isolated thing. So even as I'm monitoring potential for a tropical storm in the Gulf, I was peeking around at the models this morning and I see a potential for a derecho, which is a sustained sort of long-lived sort of downburst wind feature uh, that might impact the Mid-Atlantic or New York area today as well. So I can imagine that that would be something you're, the Weather Center is keeping an eye on as well. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, we, we in our briefings, we know there are probably... Uh, the current the current views potentially up to 13 uh, 
uh, 13 potential hurricanes that may hit this year, you know, five or six maybe major hurricanes. So we're looking at that and, you know, that environment every day and making sure that, that again, we're going through our, our checklist, our, our checklist, making sure we have the responders trained, making sure that our, our, we're operationally ready from an asset perspective. Um, that's critical. You don't want assets, you don't want assets not being able to respond. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with Steve Popas from AT&T. Now, I wanted to touch on something you mentioned there before we went to that last break, because you talked about, you, you mentioned the sort of long-term projections for the season. Now, there's actually a lot of discussion that comes up every year about these sort of hurricane season projections, above normal, below normal, normal. And there are some people that will say, well, why do you do them? Because it really only takes one to end up being a bad disaster. It only takes one Michael or one Maria. But from what I just heard you say, it sounds like an operation like yours finds value in these seasonal predictions. Is that, is that true? Yes, absolutely. Um, we're, yes, you're right in, ter- in terms of you only need one Michael or one Maria to, to have significant damage. But where are these hurricanes projected? Are they going to be hitting the Gulf? Do I need to look at the, the Gulf region, Pensacola and, every, and all of the Gulf region? Do I need to think of the Keys? Do I need to think of the East Coast? Do I, do I need to think of a Hurricane Sandy potentially hitting the New Jersey, New York area? So we find a lot of value in terms of understanding how many potential named storms there will be and where we think those potential storms are going to potentially have impact. And that drives some of our response and preparedness, you know, preparedness steps in terms of making sure that we have the right hardness of our locations, making sure that we're taking the appropriate steps to be able to respond quickly. Uh, I want to ask you about challenges and challenges in two different ways. One, I'm curious about whether, whether there are any special challenges with you working with federal or local or state authorities when you go into these areas that, after a disaster. So that challenge, and if there are any. And then I'm curious if you recall in your career any particular challenges that the weather caused that prevented you from really doing your job. Well, challenges from from public safety. There's um, when we go into a significant event. Uh, there's always challenges around what we call access and credentialing. So, although we may have the AT&T logo on our uh, you know badges and we may have uh, our trucks logoed, uh, you know we're always you know. The response is always driven locally by the public safety officials, the police officials, the emergency management officials, and they may not accept, they may deem a a location uh, very dangerous. And even though we're labeled as AT&T, we need to make sure, they need to make sure that we know what we're doing and we have the right people and the right 
capabilities to bring in. So there's access and credentialing things that we need to work through. There are fueling aspects that, that we need to work through, making sure that we're going into an area that may be devastated and there are no Home Depots open, obviously, and things of that nature. So we need to make sure that we have the ability to get the logistical things. We'll bring in our tools trailers and we try to be as self-sufficient as possible, but there are times when we may need to reach out to public safety officials and, and uh, making sure that we can align on getting their help for some of the things that we may need to accomplish. Um, from, from a logistical perspective, Baton Rouge about 2016 was, a, was an interesting event where um, our location was in outside of 500-year floodplain, and you would think it would not be touched. In a, in, it was absolutely, quote, unquote, by the books, no risk to this location. We had 10 feet of, 10 feet of rain. And so <clears throat> think, of, think of our location. We've hardened the location, but there's 10 feet of water outside our building. And so that was a really interesting type of scenario where as much as we could have prepared, we'd never expected that type of uh, type of event. Right. And so we had some damage and we had to take action accordingly, but that's, but we had to wait for the floods to, to, to go down a little bit and things of that nature. So even though we were prepared, that caught us a little off guard in terms of the tenacity of that rain and the, and the flooding environment that we walked into. Yeah, that, that was really an anomaly event. I'm, I'm, I'm smiling when you talk about that event because in my day job as a professor and, and scientist at the University of Georgia, we just in the last year published a scholarly paper on that flooding event in, in Baton Rouge because it was a unnamed tropical depression. It didn't really have a name, but it looked very tropical and just kind of sat there. And we actually have hypothesized that it was actually feeding on all, not just the ocean water, but the wetlands there in Southern Louisiana and getting its strength. So it was a really interesting storm that we, we've studied as, as scientists at the University of Georgia and with a team of other colleagues around the U.S. I want to pivot now to sort of another aspect of the AT&T operation. We talked with Steve Puppets from AT&T. When there are these events, hurricane storms, wind storms, fires, you obviously have local stores and employees that also are affected uh, by these events as well. Do you have any special assistance or operational procedures for your local employees and store uh, personnel? Uh, that would not be my area of focus, but uh, we have a business, uh, we have a corporate business continuity team that actually looks at those type of environments. They're, they're the leads for AT&T's response in terms of COVID-19, as an example. They're the ones that are looking at our ability to, to, to keep, you know, the way I classify it is keep the cash register running, right? We need to make sure that we're taking the appropriate steps to make sure AT&T can support its customers. And obviously more importantly, can we support ourselves? Because if we, if we can't support ourselves, we can't support our customers, right? So, so those are the things that that team is looking at on a daily basis. Uh, they're looking about making sure the essential processes are running, uh, have the ability to continue to run, whether it's IT-based or whether it's process-based uh, type of items or people-based. So they're the ones that give that guidance. They will determine, you know, what what the uh, the policies are around getting to the physical locations. 
Um, can the work be done remotely? Can the person work from home? You know, can you transfer, you know, the transactional based work to people working from home? All of those types of things they're looking at on a daily basis. You, you, you mentioned COVID-19 and you did mention that that operation that you just talked about deals primarily with that. But it's, as we think about hurricane season and the pandemic and social distancing and all those types of things, has COVID-19 thrown any curveballs at your operation? Oh, absolutely. Uh, th things like staging and bunking, right? So as an example, uh, there are no hotels open typically in a significant uh, major hurricane impact area. So what are the things you do? You need to bring in bunk houses. You need to bring in portable kitchens. You need to bring all those type of things so that so the responders have the ability to, to respond to the event. So now we're looking at, okay, we typically would fit 20 people in a bunk trailer. What's our policy now? You know, uh, you know, how do you socially distance? What type of PPE do they need to have? All, all of those type of things are uh, actively being worked on. Just a, a classic example. So when we roll out our portable cell towers, there's typically two people in a team. One's driving the portable cell tower, one's uh, driving what we call a chase vehicle. When they get to the location, both of those individuals have the ability to turn up that portable cell tower, but coming back home, they're both in the chase vehicle coming back home. What's our social distancing policy with now two employees in, a, in the uh, vehicle coming back home? You know, so we've looked at things, you know, they have to be in masks, obviously. You know, if one could be in the front, one can be in the back of the truck. You know, all of those type of things are influencing and impacting our disaster response. And that's classic, and that's at the top of the pyramid. Employee safety is clearly the number one thing that we look at. And so we're actively looking at, and we're talking about those type of items today um, and in preparedness for the hurricane season, uh, which started, as you know, two days ago. And so um, those are important items that we're looking at today. Final question is, I mean, I, I know at some level or somewhere within AT&T, there was a climate resiliency challenge that was um, where academics could propose uh, to this. And it may have just been focused here in the South because I was aware of it from my, from my head as a professor at UGA. But it leads me into how does your operation think about the future as climate is changing and we uh, scientists expect more extreme events. Does that factor into the bigger picture planning at AT&T? Yes, we've actually, we've actually partnered, partnered with Oregon National Labs uh, on this specific topic. And, 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 you, would, and you would ask, why does AT&T care? So when our infrastructure was built, maybe in the 50s or the 60s or the 70s or whenever the time period was, we may have made decisions of where to physically locate our facilities based on different criteria. But what happens with climate change and maybe the sea level rise? Maybe the location that we picked 20 or 30 years ago is now potentially in a risk area with sea level rise, right? So we're looking at those actively and we're trying to get an assessment in terms of, you know, you know, what we think uh, the potential risk would be and start to uh, determine, 
Is it just that we need to harden a location? Is it do we need to potentially move the location? Um, you know, and all of those type of things are being um, actively looked at as we speak. Yeah, and I think your example there in Baton Rouge is a good example of sort of these right. anomaly events that you planned what you thought was planning properly for, but still you get these anomaly events like that. It's been a fascinating conversation. Is there, just as we close, is there anyone people can, where people can find out more about your operation online or on social media? Uh, yes, uh, it's att.com, um, NDR. I will have to get you the specific URL. I don't have that on top of my head, but... Our producers can find it. We can definitely find that and link it when we start tweeting when the show uh becomes public. So yeah, I'm sure it's out there. So we'll make sure we put that information out there for you. Um, but before we go, I have to do something that we do in every podcast. It's time for our geek of the week. We like to highlight a scientist, superstar, a great geologist, or a weather weenie at the end of every podcast. This episode's geek of the week is Antonio Mafe. I hope I pronounced that correctly, Antonio. He, Antonio is 18 years old, but he's been tracking the weather since he was four. Whoa. That's a serious weather geek. It may come as no surprise that he is a huge Weather Channel fan, but it may surprise you to learn he's written his own weather book. Wow. He hopes to one day become a broadcast meteorologist where he hopes to channel his energy and passion for the weather. Follow Antonio on Twitter at A-M-A-F-F-E-I-W-X. If you or someone you know should be featured as a geek of the week, be sure to check out our social media page or Twitter. Thank you so much, Steve, for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. A pleasure meeting you, and thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. And this is Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and thank you all for listening to Weather Geeks. We'll see you next time.